is Sarah McLaughlin from Chicago, and this WBEZ podcast is made possible with the support of listeners like me. Send WBEZ some love by making a donation online at WBEZ.org. Thanks. Wait, did she just say Sarah McLaughlin? This is Sarah McLaughlin. Sweet! I love her! She's got a new album coming out, too. But seriously... From WBEZ Chicago, this is the best of BEZ Talk. I'm Jason Mark. Each week I'm dishing out a tasty chunk from one of our talk programs. I got one lined up here from the afternoon shift. Brian Babylon and Molly Adams from Vocalo are hanging out for the hour. Things got really interesting when host Nyla Boodoo brought in Dorothy Brown. Who's Dorothy Brown? Well, Ms. Brown is a law professor at Emory University, and she recently wrote an article about home ownership, one that asked the question, has the downturn in housing prices over the last couple of years made black homeowners poorer than their white counterparts? Interesting to think of housing prices through the lens of race. So, Let's pick things up where Brown talks about the idea that spawned the article. I started thinking about this topic of black homeownership and do we get as much out of owning a home as our white uh, middle-class counterparts when I actually had a house up for sale. And, and at the same time, I'm doing research and I'm finding all of these articles that show regardless of the geography, if you own a home in a majority-minority neighborhood, you are going to get less value out of it than if you own a home in a homogeneous white neighborhood. Well, doesn't that go just with, you know, the notion is, you know, black people lower your property value. I I grew up in a town called Matson, Illinois, and it was black people when Black people started moving to Mets and didn't want other blacks to move in for the fear of their property value going down. So where where does that even fall into play? Well, studies show that once you have more than 10 percent of your neighbors are black, the property values fall at least 16 percent. So, you know, it's a chicken or egg problem. How did who started this? Is it, you know, in my head or is it uh, validated in the market? And in fact, it is, in fact, validated in the market. So the question is. If we want to talk about uh, wealth building in the African-American community, uh, should we put as much a priority on buying a home? Or should we think about, well, where are the homes more valuable? And the, pro- the problem is the homes are more valuable if there aren't many blacks in the neighborhood. So does that mean I should buy a neighbor? I should, I'm black. I should buy a house in a white neighborhood and hope no other black people move in. That's just untenable on so many levels. But the market seems to suggest financially that's the right answer. Professor Brown, is this a question, though, of class versus instead of race? Can you explain that in terms of when you're talking about the neighborhood? Is this apply across class levels? It does. There have been studies of high-income minority neighborhoods, and you compare those with similarly situated high-income white neighborhoods, and uh, predominantly black homeowners don't get as much money for their house as the overwhelmingly white neighborhood does. So, yeah. yes, it transcends class. Because uh, I had a uh, former co- uh, co-worker who worked with me at, at BET in D.C., and they lived in some part of Maryland, because Bowie or some part of Maryland was just tons of affluent black people. Yeah, Mitchellville or one of those. There's a lot in Montgomery County. Montgomery yeah, there's Montgomery. a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of affluent blacks. And he says, you know, they 
you know, found themselves in the same situation. So he said to some younger younger people that don't go out and buy a house in a bougie neighborhood because you lose money. What you do is you get a cheap condo and go buy commercial real estate if you want to get into and want to get into the real estate business. I actually think that's kind of good advice. Um, commercial real estate could be risky, but you know, investing your money is mis- risky, right? Yeah. So, um, I actually think that's very, very good advice. I think it goes against the grain because you have all of, uh, you have lots of encouragement. Ah, oh, the American dream. You need to own a home, right? You need to be a homeowner, and nobody really talks about if you're a middle class uh, white owning in a predominantly white area. Home, buying a home is going to be good for you, notwithstanding the last few years. And yeah. In fact, what we see with respect to white home, home uh, prices versus black home prices, uh, or I should put differently, what we see with respect to white net worth is their whites have recouped most of what they've lost in the housing market because they've invested in the stock market, and the stock market is over 14000 So we need more diversification in the African-American community. Very few blacks invest in the stock market. That's what I was going to ask you about, Professor Brown. If you can talk a little bit more about that, is it just a, how much of it is having other wealth in more diverse investments versus... Yeah, to, to me, the right answer. And so much of black wealth is tied up in equity in our homes, that when we see this uh, recent home crash, we see significant wealth flying out of the window of of African-American communities. So one solution is to always be diversified, right? If you're going to own a home, don't necessarily max out on what you can buy. Save some money and put it someplace else, whether it's commercial real estate, whether it's the stock market, whether it's in bonds. But all of our wealth should not be tied up in our homes. Right. And we're speaking with um, Professor Dorothy Brown. We're talking about black home ownership. If you want to join in on the conversation, give us a call at 312-923-9239. Kay in Oak Park, welcome to the afternoon shift. Hello. um, Thank you so much for taking my call. Dr. Brown, a real quick comment. I find that it doesn't matter if we're talking about real estate, schools, businesses. Once you have an aggregation of African-American people, de facto people think it's inferior. So if you tell someone, oh, I attended an all- uh, black or all African-American school, you're going to have to qualify that because they're going to think that there's something negative. So I, I don't know. I love living where I live. I have lots of African-American neighbors. My daughter goes to a predominantly African-American school. It's private. But I just get this feeling that masses of African-American people are going to be viewed as negative, via, whether it's a business, a home, a school. And then if we do try to support our own, we get accused of, reverse racism, as in the case of the Ebony experiment. So I'll take my comments off the air, and thank you. Thanks, Kay and Oak Park, for that. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is what I've just been thinking, listening to this whole conversation. I, I, I like what what the doctor is saying about investing in different markets and diversifying, but it's like this whole market is just based on white supremacy. So I'm like, yeah. where 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 do we, like, address that problem? Well, I don't know. I don't, well, or, I don't know about I know, supremacy. That, that, well, that's, well, I was going to say, let's let Dr. Brown, did you want to respond? Respond to what Kay I would had said. say. How much time do you have in your show? <laughs> because you've just well, you're you're, you're raising a structural question, right? There are structural um, impediments to African Americans getting ahead, whether it's 
schools that are underfunded because of the property tax issue, right? So it's a really, the comment that was just made is, is incredibly broad. Um, and I'm just looking at, for this piece, just a small slice of it, which is pushing back against the notion that we can eliminate the racial wealth gap if we just get more black homeowners. And I have a question. Can't we just redefine what the American dream is? Because sometimes if you go with a cliche Wikipedia example of what the American dream is, you have a white picket fence house, your kids (laughs) go to a nice college and everything will be easy peasy. But that's not the case today because you have a home bubble crash. Tuition is rising at a crazy alarming rate, which still does not guarantee your child will get a job. And I thought that's what college was about for people to get jobs from being educated. So you can sit up and have a house that's not worth anything and have a whole (laughs) bunch of college debt, but you're living the dream. So when can we start having a conversation about redefining what the American dream is to different people? And I think that would be a more productive conversation. Like I said, I think we need to push back against the notion that, well, one, I think uh, recent events have shown us if we do A, B, and C, it doesn't mean that D is going to happen. In fact, we find our children moving back home, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing guaranteed, right? That's, that's part of life in the 21st century. I have a job today. Will I have a job tomorrow? Will it, you know, have benefits? Will, you know, am I one illness away from losing it all? So, yeah, I, I do think we need to... Be careful with pres- one-size-fits-all prescriptions. Brad in Edgewater, welcome to the afternoon shift. I want to know um, with the doctor when she conducted her analysis, what other kinds of factors she considered, you know, held constant or adjusted for, besides regards to home values, uh, racial proportions, and income. Uh, things like, you know, uh, school quality in the neighborhood, uh, home conditions, business activity in the community, things like that. Okay, thanks, Brad. Dr. Brown? Okay, so first of all, um, I'm a law professor, not an empiricist, so my research is based on others' research, and what they held constant um, were basically pretty much all the variables that were mentioned. Um, I want to point out one um, study that was done by a sociology professor that asked whites, you know, do you not move into these neighborhoods because you're concerned about crime and you're concerned about poor school quality? And the, basically the response back was whites reported they would be unlikely to purchase a home even if all of their needs were met and the neighborhood had good schools and low crime rates because there was a substantial number of African Americans. So you can hold everything constant and you still find this racial disparity. Yeah, I mean, to me, this this I also think of it all situated in how large this wealth, how much the wealth gap has increased over the past two years. And and see, that's that's a brilliant point. And it's one of my pet peeves with people who who say we need more homeownership or higher homeownership rates. During the last 25 years, when the racial wealth gap has exploded, it's been at the same time when the when black home ownership rates have been at their highest. Yeah, I, you know, I, I know this is going to be very unpopular, but back when Bill Clinton was promising black people houses, I yeah. knew in my heart this was a bad move because a lot of people weren't ready. And and, and you when you put a hotbed of just creepy bankers and people who think that this was for them, they get taken advantage of. 
Well, right. There's that piece, people getting approved for loans that they shouldn't have been approved for. But there's also the piece that people who very much can afford uh, to buy a home, no one tells them you're making a choice when you buy into a majority-minority neighborhood. Now, it's not make the choice, but make it a knowing one. If you were to find an affordable house in an overwhelmingly white neighborhood, that's going to be a better financial investment. Now, you may decide, I don't want to live in that neighborhood. That's fine, but my point is you should make it knowingly, and nobody talks about this. And do you feel like this was a difficult thing for you to write, Dr. Brown, as an African-American, or do you feel like you just want to have that information out there? I wonder what kind of response you've gotten. You know, it wasn't difficult. This is the beauty of being a tenured law professor, right? Yeah. I can't lose my job because of what I write. <laughs> and you don't, you don't need another side hustle like we were talking about earlier, right? I know, I know. Um, so it wasn't difficult for me to write, but I will tell you this. Every time I presented this paper at law schools across the country, I got tremendous hostility and pushback. Mm-hmm. Well, I cannot. It was like, oh, my God, I'm going to do battle again whenever I present this piece. No, because you're saying things that people don't like the uncomfortable words right. that come out your mouth. But do you think if if more black people went into like a, a bad neighborhood in Detroit or the neighborhood that I moved into, like Bronzeville before it became Bronzeville, which was the low end and went back into sort of, I guess, downtrodden neighborhoods, reinvested into these neighborhoods because the property is cheap. Right. You know, and did that and they're around their own people, they would make an investment. I don't I don't understand why people don't go into these bad neighborhoods and then buy property and just reinvent it. Well, because there's a serious level of risk associated with it. Right. The neighborhood could turn around Mm -hmm. or it could not turn around. Yeah. Right. So the question is, what's my net worth looking like and how comfortable am I to ultimately be able to lose this money? Because if the neighborhood doesn't turn around, I can kiss that investment goodbye. Right. Um, let's take a call. Lynn in Humboldt Park. Many times when African-Americans like myself, when you own a home, um, there may come a time when you need to do some upgrades or some maintenance and things like that. And it's difficult to get the money, to get the loans. And I see so many vacant lots in the uh, African-American neighborhood because People either inherited the house and didn't have money, mm-hmm. and it just deteriorates and ends up getting knocked down. So it's just um, my comment is that uh, it, it, we just sometimes can't get the funds to, to uh, for upgrades and improvements, and that kind of affects the house value as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you, Lynn. Thanks for those comments. Dr. Brown? Yes, that's absolutely true, which goes back to... You know, it isn't just enough to be able to afford the house. You have to be able to afford what happens if the plumbing breaks or if the roof leaks. So part of the problem with putting people into homes with very little down payment is what's the support system for borrowing money from a, you know, a family member or, you know, being able to, to repair that property or pay your property taxes. Professor Dorothy Brown of Emory U talking about home ownership and personal wealth through the lens of race. Plus, we've heard a bunch of callers with great questions and comments, and that's what we're all about. Great conversations with you on topics that are interesting to you. The Best of BEZ Talk is a production of WBEZ, Chicago Public Media. 
Talk programming is produced by Carrie Shepard, Eileen Heigen and Weiss, Katie O'Brien, Steve Bynum, Becky Vlamas, Alexandra Solomon, Joe DeSell, and me, Jason Mark. The man at the top of our little talk pyramid is Justin Kaufman. Subscribe to this and all of our podcasts on iTunes. And when you get there, please rate and review us. It's helpful in a number of ways. Of course, you can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at WBEZ. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect our community, our nation, and our world. More information available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Till next time, I'm Jason Mark. Thanks for listening.